everyone. I'm your host, April Hanna, and this is the Path 11 Podcast. Just a reminder, we are offering access to all of our archive shows, which is well over 100 hours of content, and new bonus shows such as the Virtual Book Club, Food for Thought Friday, and the Two Minute Tuesday, all for just $3.99 a month. Think about it, guys. That's less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks. Sign up for premium for just $3.99 a month. Now let's get to this week's show. So today I'm joined with a guest, Susan Gregg, who is the author of 14 books. From the time Susan was a young child, she always knew there was more to life than one could experience with our five senses. While living in Vermont, Susan experienced severe frostbite on her right hand. Medical doctors said they could probably save her hand, but she would never regain the feeling in her fingers. Susan then went to a spiritual healer, and a few days after that visit, her hand totally recovered. That experience accelerated her exploration into energy, spirituality, shamanism, and the nature of physical reality. In the 1980s, Susan moved to San Diego and within weeks met and began studying with Sister Sarita, Don Miguel Ruiz's mother, who was well known for her healing abilities. When she completed her apprenticeship with Don Miguel, she moved to Hawaii. For the past 30 years, Susan has dedicated her life to helping others connect with the loving and luminous nature of their spirit. Her favorite saying is, only the love is real, everything else is an illusion. You are loved, you are love, and you are lovable. Susan has traveled extensively teaching and building labyrinths all over the globe, and we'd like to welcome her to our show. Hi, Susan. Hi, April. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd like to tell the story of how I found you. So back in back in October of 2017, I had a teacher come over to New York from Lake Tahoe, and she was teaching an angelic Reiki course in my studio. And in this angelic Reiki course, she brought a bunch of different books. And part of the angelic Reiki was receiving attunements throughout the weekend to be able to work with the angelic realm. And your book was sitting right there. Our teacher had brought it and she said, this is a great reference book. And uh, the book that I'm referring to is the Encyclopedia of angels that you wrote. And I think that you wrote that a while back. And our teacher had said, as you're starting to get to know the energy of the different angels and archangels and ascended masters, that your book would be a great book to reference. And so that is how I came to find you. And I absolutely love the book. I went out the next, um, after the training, like the next day after the training and I ordered it and I bought it and I have it and I've been using it ever since anytime I do an angelic Reiki training. So that's how I came to find you. And somebody just, I do Reiki too. And somebody just asked me if I would do Reiki one and uh, two for them. And I like the, angelic Reiki. I can, you know, because angels are always here. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Would you like yeah. to hear something about how I, re- how I wrote the book? Absolutely. That's exactly where I'd like to begin. And then I'd like to go a little bit more into talking more about the Toltec tradition that I am not familiar with. And I'd really like to be educated on that. So yeah, tell us about that book. 
Um, it was a book for hire, you know, and uh, the publisher, my agent set up an interview. And so I interviewed with the publisher and the woman is telling me that, you know, angels have different colors and this and that. And I'm thinking, I didn't know that. And she said, and I don't want any channeled material. And I was like, well, fine, because I'm not a channeler. And um, I had originally six or nine months to write the book. And then they called me, I gave them a list of angel saints and deities. And um, then they called me one day and they said, could you have it done in a month? And, you know, often my mind speaks before my mind thinks. And I said, oh, sure. And then I thought about it. And it's like, how the heck am I going to write a book? You know, because you, you have the book. It's quite a substantial book. Yes. So what I did was I made a um, computer file for each of the entries and you know I put a little information in there and then I would sit down with my laptop and I'd go into a meditation and I'd interview them and if she had done that before they printed the book they probably would not have been happy but I interviewed all these people and it was fascinating and to me the most fascinating part was the saints because I was not raised Catholic so I was not really familiar overly familiar with saints and when I started interviewing the saints um there was one in particular and um, this woman in Rome had dedicated herself to Jesus and the head of the, whatever the, the city wanted to have sex with her. And she was like, no. And so he put her in jail and she still said no. And he had her breast cut off and threw her back in prison and figured that would finish her. And they went to get her the next day and she was healed and she'd spent the night praying to the angels and she she was healed and so he was really pissed off and he killed her in a very gruesome manner and the first time I opened the file it was first thing in the morning and I apologized and said we'll have to talk later in the day and then when I talked to her the thing that was fascinating is she didn't suffer she was so connected to her spirit that she only had love and compassion for this guy that was torturing her and um so I, I wrote the I did finish the book in a month and um it was it was just wonderful. And at the end of the month, talk about being on an angel high, you know, being immersed in their reality for a whole month was just awesome. So that's the story of writing the book. Wow. So when you say that you you interview them, did you you just kind of sat with the intention to feel their energy and to ask them questions and use your intuition and download the information that they were giving you? Yeah. And when the book came out, I was really nervous because I thought, what if I got it wrong? And you know, I've written 14 books and I get a lot. Well, not a lot, but occasionally I get a, you know, you have a typo on da 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 or you didn't get this right or, you know, a reader's complaint. And with that angel book, I have never once gotten that. All I've gotten is people that were grateful for it and just love it. So, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I love it myself. It's been just a great reference for the work that I'm doing. So thank you. I'm glad. And I'm sure the angels are glad too. Yes. Now I'd also like to hear about the story that happened to you when you were in Vermont and you got frostbite on the, on your hand and you went to this energy healer. So tell us about that story. Sure. Um, I, it was, we were having a very cold snap and it was like 35 below and I had really good gloves, but I couldn't turn the key in the ignition with the gloves on. And so I took my gloves off. I wasn't thinking, and I'm trying to start the car and the car wouldn't start. And, um, I wound up frost 
biting my thumb and my first two fingers. I mean, really. And I used to be a ski instructor, so I knew that, you know, if you have frostbite, you warm it up gently in warm water. But I was in a mood that morning, and so I went inside, and I put my hand over the um, wood, wood stove, which was definitely not a good idea, thawed them out, and frostbite is very, very painful. And I... I went to work and they, I was a stained glass artist at the time. So I really needed, and I'm right-handed, I really needed those three digits. And um, I went to urgent care and um, they said, mm, we can save the fingers, but we don't, I don't think we're going to be able to, you'll never get the feeling back. So there was this woman called Jeannie Lang and she was just a real sweetheart. And she was, I knew her more as a psychic and to get an appointment with her, you would call her number and she didn't have an answering machine and you would call and sometimes she would answer and she'd give you a time and a date and that would be it. And she wouldn't write your name down and you'd show up at the door and she'd be surprised at who was there. And her readings were all of five dollars. And so I my mom had died not too long before this. So I went to see Jeannie more about, you know, talking about my mother's passing and stuff. And when I walked in and sat down, I don't even know if I told her I, I froze my fingers or she just, but she took her, my hand in her hand and she let out with a squeal and it kind of startled me. And then she went on with the reading talking about other stuff and she never said anything about my fingers. And so when they were totally healed a few days later, it was like, okay, I got to go talk to this woman. And um, I did. And I was like, what'd you do? And she started talking to me about healing and, um, she was just, she was amazing. And, you know, and, and then I was in the process, I was going to move to uh, California and I asked her if there was any, she had a gathering once a month and I was like, is there anybody like you out in California? And she must've thought I was a little bit off, you know, but so I knew that I drove cross country, moved to San Diego, had never been there, um, found a place to live the first day I was there. And, um, she had given me the name, address, and time of a spiritualist church in San Diego. And that, Friday, that Saturday, I guess, they had, you know, the churches listed in the paper. And I looked, and there was a spiritualist church, same address, different name, different time. And I thought, well, how many churches can there be at one address? So I went to that church. And the woman that was running it was a woman named Mary, and she just embraced me like a long-lost daughter and told everybody I was a healer and a teacher, and I'm thinking, this woman's crazy. I don't know nothing, you know. And um, it, it, and so I, I just went to that church, and I didn't find out until three years later that it was the wrong church, that the other church did actually exist. And Mary's the one that, um, she said, there's this woman you got to meet, and I just got taught, you know, obviously I was fascinated in healing. And so I've any healing class anywhere in San Diego, I would show up and study with people. And she took me down to the barrio. She said, there's this absolutely awesome healer. And it was Sister Sarita. And so I went down there with her and <laughs> it was um, a night where she allowed her students to do the healing. So it, it was a bit chaotic and uh, everything was in Spanish. And I still only probably speak maybe five or six words in Spanish. And um, I'm sitting there watching what's going on. And this little short guy comes and pulls me into the center of the circle. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I looked around and, you know, I see all these people doing all these motions. And and um, I feel, well, I'll do what they're doing and then I'll run and sit. And I did. And he 
came back over with a translator and asked me to be uh, their student. And the little short Mexican guy was Don Miguel Ruiz, the author of The Four Agreements. And so, you know, from that healing of my hands, you know, it, <laughs> I moved to California to find a place to live and a career. And I, I didn't while I was there, per se. I mean, I cleaned houses and waited on tables and stuff, but I did find a career. And, you know, when I got done studying, um, I moved to Hawaii with $800 and my suitcases and my dogs and didn't know a soul. And obviously it worked because, you know, almost 30 years later, I have a beautiful home on the big island of Hawaii. And, um, you know, the spiritual breadcrumbs, when you follow them, it's amazing what happens. You know, like you finding the angel book, you know, I mean, it, it just always amazes me how if we don't overthink things and we just kind of follow along, following the, I call them cosmic breadcrumbs, magic and miracles happen in our lives, you know. Absolutely, Susan. You are right. Wow. What a story. I want to hear more. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so tell me about your, your trainings then with Dr. With Don, I'm not, I'm sorry, Don Miguel. Um, I'm familiar with the book, The Four Agreements. You know, I recommend that book a lot to uh, a lot of my clients, but what was that work like? Um, well, if you talk to Miguel, he would agree. He'd be the first to agree when I was studying with them. It was fear-based because if you read the Toltec tradition, you know, it first popped into um, our culture in the 70s with Carlos Castaneda. And you know, I, mem I remember reading Carlos Castaneda's books about Don Juan and a friend of mine actually went to Mexico to find his own Don Juan. And when I read the books, it's like, I wouldn't want to experience that because it was a lot of fear. You know, the the Nahuals taught their students by scaring the bejesus out of them. And so when I was studying with Miguel, a lot of it was odd. You know, I mean, he, we'd go for a walk and he'd point at a tree and indicate that I needed to climb the tree. And I climbed the tree and I'd be, okay, now what? And this is in a public park in San Diego. And uh, he pointed at the water. And so I looked at the water and I'm sitting up there. And, you know, of course, my mind is like, what am I doing up here? And, and um, then I'd look and he'd be all the way on the other side of the park. So I'd scamper down the tree and I'd run over to, to be with him. And so it was a lot of odd things like that. And the classes originally were taught in Spanish. So and I kept going, you know, and, and not understanding the words, but there was something it was about the energy, you know, and there was a woman that used to sit next to me that would um, translate some of the key concepts, for which I was very grateful. And um it was a lot of um, experiential stuff, I guess would be the best way to put it. And then towards the end of my training, Miguel disappeared. He went to Mexico, didn't particularly know where he was for a while. And when he came back, he'd had a profound spiritual awakening. And now he teaches from a place of love. And so it was awesome because when I first started going to the classes, his mom was a teacher and he was a student. And so it was wonderful watching him go through his process and grow. And then, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was an amazing experience, you know, and it made very, I'm, I graduated from college as a math major. And originally I wanted to be a nuclear physicist because I wanted to figure out how the world worked. And I did figure out how the world worked. I just came at it from a different direction, but, you know, being a, a, a left brain, you know, logical kind of person, 
the spiritual stuff was really, it, it stretched my reality a lot. And it was just awesome. I mean, some of the things and the experiences and, and Sarita would do, it was a series of ceremonies to open you up, kind of like Reiki attunements. And um, the ceremonies were just incredible, you know, and, um, and I, my heart would be pounding and, you know, my mind would be like, okay, now am I going to do this right? And da-da-da. You know, and of course, there was no right or wrong. And um, just some of the uh, one of the things we did a fire initiation towards the end. And it was fascinating because we went to his house and his house was in National City and it was kind of up on a cliff. And so when you looked out, you if, if you looked upward, you saw the ocean. If you went to the edge of his his yard and, and looked down, there was a big shopping mall. So it was definitely <laughs> contrasted. We did this fire initiation, and there was a whole bunch of, you know, I mean, part of the Nawal uh, shamanism kind of thing. You know, Sarita's standing there with a whole bunch of elders, and they're all dressed in, in white. And we're doing this ceremony, and I've never met any of these people, and I'm just fascinated. And the ceremony is over, and I look, and they're not there. And I'm like, where'd they go? And we always had a big fiesta food fest after a ceremony and I'm looking all over the house to them because it's like they I know they got to be here and I have no idea who they were where they went but there was lots of those kind of um I hesitate to use the word weird experiences but you know not logical you know how does a whole bunch of people be there one minute and not be there the next minute so um, it was just, you know, it, it was fascinating. And had you asked me before I moved to California if I was going to do any of that, I certainly would have said no way. No, but you know, fast forward, I did, you know, and, and like moving to Hawaii with $800. I mean, that doesn't make much sense because Hawaii is a very expensive place to live. And when I start, when I got here, um, I came, I showed up with three suitcases and a bellboy came to help me get the suitcases out to the um, curb. And I was talking to him and he said, oh, you won't have any trouble finding a job. You're going to have trouble finding a place to live. And I would go to look at apartments and they were not nice apartments. And they would already have a waiting list of 20 people, you know, because it was just there was a housing shortage at that point. And so, you know, I just kept trusting the process and I think it was a week before my dog got out of quarantine I think it, I forget whether it was three or four months she had to be in quarantine and um, I rented a car the day I got her out of quarantine and I took her to the beach and we romped and we played and then uh, I took her home and you know I hadn't even been able to find a place for me to live I was living in somebody's um, spare room and so those kind of magical things happen. I mean I'm sure you have that you know as a Reiki practitioner I mean the, the, those kind of serendipities that show up in your life you know so yeah absolutely and that, I love it when that happens too <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a fun part and of the, life yeah and the Toltec tradition the thing one of the things that I love about it is there's three masters awareness transformation and intent and when you use those together, you can change your life in magnificent ways. You know, I mean, awareness is kind of self-explanatory, except we think life is solid and it's not. You know, I mean, it's spiritual, you know, energy kind of thing. 
And then uh, transformation, self-evident, you know, changing something. And then intent, you know, the intent of what, what you want to create. And intent is always visible in our life in hindsight. You know, whatever showed up in our life, it was our intent to have that there. And then learning to use that consciously so that you can consciously set your intent for whatever. You know, yesterday I was a solstice. And to me, that's the actual new year. And so I did a... a a ceremony and I set my intent for 2018 and I look back and I could clearly see my intent for 2017 because it was manifested. And so I did a meditation where I stood at, you know, the solstice 2018 and looked back at the year and with great deal of pleasure because I created a bunch of things that I wanted. So. And so I would assume, I would assume that you, you're still incorporating um, the Toltec tradition into the work that you're doing today, or have you yourself moved more towards um, the awakening of love to heal? Um, well, the, t- the Toltec tradition is a foundation as far as the logistics of changing things, but the basis of what I teach is all about love. And, um, you know, I truly believe that absolutely, you know, the only thing that's real is love. We distract ourselves with fear, but the fear isn't real. And as we really get to embrace that uh, loving nature and some of the questions that I have people ask is, you know, how can I see this through the eyes of love and what would love do? And, you know, some, sometimes uh, um, events happen in life and seeing them through the eyes of love is a spiritual stretch, you know, and if we do that, totally different world. I'm, I'm on Facebook and I was reading somebody's post and they were talking about cancer and how cancer was such a horrible disease. And, you know, um, and I thought, wow, if we could look at it as, you know, this is love in a different form. And if I really, really love my body and I really, really love this disease and I embrace it, my experience of it would be very different. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, that's a stretch if you have some kind of physical ailment going on. But, um, you know, I had um, when I was in um, Vermont, I was a ski instructor and I also was a downhill racer. So I mangled my limbs a lot. And um, fast forward, I've had my knees replaced and. You know, the, the healing, it's not exactly a comfortable experience when they whack off part of your legs and shove metal in it. But um, both of mine healed very, very fast you know, because I didn't I didn't look at the pain as my enemy or, or any of that. It was just like, OK, you know, I'm going to be able to get up and do things that I haven't been able to do because of my creaky knees. You know, ironically, my, my knees still creak, but I, I don't have any pain in them, you know. So, yeah, that love aspect, if we can, whatever the challenge is, if we can really choose to see it through love, it's amazing. You know, and there's two different kinds of love, excuse me, in in my book, Uh, fear-based love and love-based love. And fear-based love is, you know, I'll love you as long as you do da-da-da. And if you don't do that, I'm not going to love you anymore. And that's fear-based and then there's love-based love where it's just, your love is just unconditional. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, most of the love we have in our lives is conditional. 
And if we practice moving towards unconditional love, our lives change tremendously. You know, in an angelic, you know, when we work with the angels, I mean, <laughs> they don't look down and go, geez, look at that bozo. Look at what they're doing. <laughs> they just they just love and they're just there to assist us. You know, so the, the love piece, I think, um, no matter what spiritual practice you have or religious practice or whatever, it's the love. You know, I mean, Jesus was able to heal people when he just walked through a town because he resonated with such love. And how do you how do you coach people to start to move towards that energy? Because I think a lot of times we're almost conditioned and taught to love unconditionally because we've had expectations put on us. We learn how to put expectations on others. Um, we set all these rules around love. Like you said, if you do this, then I'll love you. If you don't do this, I won't love you. Um, so how does one start to, like, unravel that fear when it comes to loving relationships with other people and move into that state of just being, being love and feeling it unconditionally? Well, the first place I go with people is I have them work on really, really loving themselves. You know, just really, um, <clears throat> I, one of the exercises that I find most challenging for most people and really powerful is to stand in front of a mirror and really look at yourself you know, and I tell people, look directly in your left eye, because otherwise they spend a lot of time like flicking back and forth between eyeballs. And so you look directly at your left eye and you allow yourself to connect. And then you think of something that generates a feeling of love, a baby, a puppy, a kitten, you know, beautiful sunrise, something beautiful. And you generate that feeling. And then you say to yourself, I love you. And the first time I did that, I cried like a baby. And I suggest people do it numerous times during the day because you know how would we feel being in a relationship with somebody that whenever they walked in the room they ignored us and how many times do we go in a bathroom and look at ourselves in a mirror and, and you know we may straighten our hair or you know have a judgment about a new wrinkle or whatever but we very seldom connect and have that love so that's the first place I have people start and then and I, I really have them ask themselves questions, you know, like, how can I see this through the eyes of love? And like I said, awareness, transformation and intent. If your intent is to really be able to love everything. And I did a video on YouTube about this and somebody posted a comment was Hitler lovable. And um, uh, Neil Diamond Walsh wrote a book that never got published. And the title of it was Even Hitler Went to Heaven. And um, he wrote about the same stuff, but wasn't quite that about it. And everybody is lovable. And, you know, certainly his actions were not um, done in love, you know, and, and part of it is acknowledging that, you know, you know, a lot of what he did, very fear based. And it was a reflection of society. And I talk about the concept of you know, paradigms about the world. And our world is pretty much based on domination, right and wrong. You know, like you're saying, all the rules and the expectations. And from that place, getting to a place of unconditional love is almost impossible. And then I talk about another paradigm. And the word I cho chose to use doesn't, if you look in the dictionary, it doesn't really mean what I say it is. But I call it dominion. And it's symbolically, 
domination is a line better than less than right wrong left right and symbolically dominion is a sphere and you know we're just standing on different places on the sphere and you know the place that a murderer stands on a sphere is different than you know somebody you know dalai lama and um it's not wrong it's just a different perspective and and um when we realize it's just about moving around on the sphere and if i stand over here i'm going to judge that and if i stand over here you know maybe allow myself to stand in that person's shoes and realize that oh from that point in the sphere it's not particularly loving but it makes sense <clears throat> and so changing your paradigm you know really beginning to have a new pair of glasses you know really consciously choose to see things through love and there's times where i really um am challenged you know to see things through love um you know what's going on in our country right now is a wonderful time to practice seeing through things through the eyes of love and um there's some days i struggle with that you know and and for a long time i stopped watching the news because it was like i can't watch the news and be in love and then um a Hawaiian elder said to me, you know, it's just some piece of places need more aloha, some places need more love. So I started watching the news again and sending love to the story or the person doing something or whatever, you know, and it's just it's a spiritual muscle and the more we exercise it the easier it is to come from a place of love. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right about that. It's like, once you, once you're kind of taught the concept or, you know, learning this new way to love and recognizing your own fear-based love and then practicing it more and more, as you said, totally, you know, we will be challenged and there will be times where it will challenge us. Some situations will challenge us even more, but as you have this practice, you'll find that you're able to implement it. Like you said, almost like strengthening that muscle a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like going to the gym. You can go to the gym and never use the machines. Very little changes. You can go to the gym and you know use the machines and increase the resistance, and your body changes. And same thing with unconditional love. You know, it's just it's a matter of practice. You know, years ago I was teaching a class, and you know I had talked about spiritual practices for years, and I was teaching a class, and it it, it hit me. It was like spiritual practices take practice, and. I, just had, I had a laugh, so now whenever I hear spiritual practices, there's that little part in the back that's it, that laughs and say, yeah, and they take practice. You know, we can't just do them once and be done with them. So. Mm. And I have another question, um, just switching gears just a little bit, but we'll probably eventually make our way back to love again. But I wanted to know a little bit more about being a Nawal woman. Okay. It's just a um, fancy way for saying that I deal with the world on an energy level, you know, and <laughs> I had a student that um, I sent out an email about having an argument with my partner and she was, I don't think she realizes that these messages go out to my whole list. And she was like, oh, that scares me, you know, and, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a human being, you know, I'm not like this enlightened, you know, I don't touch the ground kind of person. And so being a Nawal, being a shaman, it, I can shift my focus, you know, like I can be looking at somebody and I can see their physical body, or I can shift my focus and I can see their energy body. 
And um, always in that state, you know, I, I feel like I need to make that little caveat, having this person get all upset that I was human. And but I have that ability to see and feel energy. And um, it's just amazing. Like after I finished writing the the angel book, I would look at trees and I could see their energy rather than the leaves. And it was awesome. I mean, it didn't last for for very long. And I can shift into doing that, which is just awesome. You know, and and it's about really accessing your power at a profound level. And um, one of the the things that Sarita talked a lot about was... um, personal importance and personal power and personal importance is the ego self. And then personal power is really being profoundly connected with your spirit. And from the spirit, the only choice is love. And if you believe in multiple lives, I must've really been into personal importance in, in one experience because I'm very aware of not going to go there because um, personal importance, personal power, inversely in proportionate. And I just don't want to misuse power. I don't want to use the energy, my spiritual energy, to manipulate somebody. Or um, So I, I'm very, like, I won't heal somebody unless they ask me to work on them. And the permission is multi-leveled. I mean, sometimes people come and they, they want me to heal them. And I know at another level they're really holding on to whatever disease they have. And so I'll, I'll certainly kind of push energy in a certain way and talk to them about any resistance they might be experiencing. You know, so being a Nala woman is just, it's just a way of being, you know, and, and it's such an incredible gift. You know, the, the energy piece, sometimes it can be a hassle because, you know, I'll see things like I'll be in an airport and I'll know that, my my next flight is going to be late or and i can occasionally you know i've i've had some amazing experiences you know like i i took a group of people to meditate between the paws of the sphinx in egypt and that's supposed to be the greatest con over there that somebody will take you to the sphinx and we went to the sphinx we had an incredible experience and I noticed when I took the group out of the hotel, there was chaos around us and didn't think anything of it. I mean, I was in this little bubble. We're going to meditate between the paws of the sinks. And when we got back, I noticed that there was no more people, but the street was filled with litter. And then when I got up the next morning, I found out there'd been a riot and several people had been killed. And we actually walked through the riot totally unscathed because we were in this little bubble. We're going to meditate between the paws of the sinks. And I've had lots of experiences like that, you know, changing my flight six months in advance and then my flight that I was on crashed, you know. So um, that energy piece is just awesome, you know. And I can't just sit here and go, okay, I'm going to, you know, it's just it's being tuned in. And we can all tune in because we're not this physical body. And, you know, the love piece, one of the things I suggest people do, too, is, you know, every breath is a gift of life from our spirit. And our spirit knows only love. And so the more we honor that gift of life, you know, the more magical it becomes. The more we become attuned to the essence of who and what we really are. So that's a fun practice, too. 
Yeah. Another question that I always like to ask a lot of people is, you know, through your whole spiritual journey, and I know intention is is very important uh, because intention can move energy, moves consciousness. But I'm also Uh curious to know your opinion on free will versus just everything being in divine timing. Do we all really have free will or is free will an illusion and everything is really mapped out for us? No, I think we have free will. Um, <laughs> when you were asking that question, it was like, yeah, that one. Because it, 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 it's a struggle sometimes because a lot of times a lot of you know, they talk about, you know, divine timing and um it's if we remember that we are divine, you know, we are that divine energy, then the timing is ours. You know, um, there's probabilities, you know, um, and there's invitations and there's always many different paths in front of us. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question because, you know, I, I, I weigh that, you know, and, and, um, I do surrender to my spirit, and like when, especially when I moved over here, uh, $800 was definitely not enough money to set up a, a life here. And um, I just constantly, you know, everything's going to be fine. Everything works out, you know, and, and I would surrender to my spirit. And um, when I first played with the idea of divine timing, it was like, and honoring, you know, that gift of life for my spirit, <laughs> my first thought was like, well, my spirit decides to withdraw the gift, you know, and I went to this place of fear and it was like, no, you're going to continue breathing until you stop breathing. And, um, I think if we come from the place of divine timing and we align that with the fact that what we really are is divinity, then the timing in a sense is ours. And, our spirit only wants love for us, only wants expansion. I mean, this is a place of magic and miracles. I really think that we came to this planet with one purpose, to wake up to who and what we are and then just enjoy it. You know, it's an amusement park with no height requirements, and we can just really, really savor every moment. And I think the more we move towards that, then divine timing, um, it's just lining up with our spirit. And, um, no, I don't think things are preordained. I think there's probabilities, you know, like, um, with my knees getting replaced, one of the things is, um, my genetic background, everybody had a lot of arthritis. So it made perfect sense that my knees would, um, get wonky and I could have judged it. Oh my God, you know, I got to heal these knees and, you know, thank goodness we have the technology they put into metal knees and I'm fine, you know, and, and, um, of course, my mind was like, now am I grounded to the earth anymore because my bones aren't continuous? And it was like, oh, geez, you know, <laughs> so our mind, our mind can be very um, interesting, you know, and it best to listen to your spirit rather than your mind. So, right. Oh, I like that. I like what you said to kind of look at life as like an amusement park. It does just even the thought of that makes it seem a little more fun to be here. Um, And to not take it too, too seriously, but yeah, that we are here to have some fun. Um, And speaking of fun, you also hold a lot of retreats. So I'd like to let our listeners know a little bit more about that um, and the retreats that you offer. 
Sure. Yeah, I have one coming up in February that I'm excited about. It's it's all about love. And um, I was for a long time I was traveling, you know, and and all over the world. And one night I was sitting waiting for a plane, and I looked at my passport, and I had two or three years left, and my passport only had one page left. And I thought, what is wrong with that picture? So why I started to do retreats here was, you know, one of the Hawaiian elders said, you know, the, the mana, the love is here. Bring them here rather than you go there. I was like, I like that idea. So I, I had bought this place 15 years ago and I've spent 15 years planting flowers and making orchards and just making it beautiful. And I decided to start having retreats here. And um, I went out and I got some really fancy, dancy tents that are six feet tall so that you can stand up in them and I call it glamping and uh, people come and stay and I do private retreats for people you know like if somebody wants to come for five days I create a magical experience and um, well I have February and then I have one uh, summer solstice too and um, we do all sorts of fun things you know it depends on the weather here the last retreat I had um it rained the whole time, so we did different things. But we go to the black sand beach, and that's where the sea turtles come in and take a nap. So you can see the sea turtles coming in. And I take people to the ocean. There's this one place that's heated by the volcano. It's called the Champagne Ponds. We go up to the volcano. And, I mean, you know, I live right down the road from an active volcano. So there's just lots of stuff. And the island... The Big Island is one of the stories I've heard is it's the heart center of the planet. So it's an awesome place to come. And the energy is magical. And, and you know, this last retreat, my um, tangerine tree has gone off. I mean, it's just got tangerines up the kazoo. And so people could walk by my tangerine tree and pick a tangerine. I mean, the tangerines will be gone by the time February comes. But, you know, the... Um, I know when I first moved here, apple bananas, I mean, we grow apple bananas here and they're just awesome. And so, you know, it's a combination of awesome food and experiences and then teaching. You know, I have a, a beautiful healing room and I do Reiki one attunements for everybody at the beginning of the retreat so that they can run Reiki on themselves and um, just create magical experiences. And I've done a number of individual retreats for people and uh, you know, the feedback I get from that is just, you know, they go home and they're just, they're not the same anymore, you know? And so coming here is just, it's just awesome. You know, I just love living here. I mean, when I have to go to town, it's like, I mean, I have to leave, you know? So I, I just, I just love it. You know, it's just beautiful. I, I have an office that's on the second floor and the third floor is the healing room and the classroom and I look out at the top of the trees and have a banana patch right out here and the bananas are starting to to yield you know and and looking out at the the tangerines that are all over the floor because I haven't been able to keep up with picking them and you know it's just it's amazing it's a different world here so yeah it and, sounds um, magical and beautiful I'm I hope to yeah. make it to Hawaii one day yeah, it is, you know, and, and, you know, and I do coach people. And one of the things is um, I have a five week, five month program that I just started and I decided to give people a substantial discount to my retreats so that they can, you know, work with me in one-on-one -on -one coaching and then show up at the retreat and just have an awesome time. So, 
And they're reasonable, $1,400 for a week. And it includes food and lodging. So, Oh, wow. Great. Well, yeah. and if our listeners would like to get more information about that, they can visit your website, which is Susan Gregg, and that is spelled G-R-E-G-G dot com. And there's more information on her site. We'll also put uh, the links to your website in our show notes. And um, we are concluding our show. But I'm so glad that I found you through this training of Angelic Reiki and was able yeah. to bring you on the podcast and learn so much more about you. So thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you. Yeah, and if you read it, your listeners have any questions, tell them to drop me a, you know, just go to my contact form, and I always answer people's questions, too. So Wonderful. Well, thanks again, Susan. Thank you, April. Have a great one. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that show. And don't forget to sign up for our premium service with over 100 hours of interviews, as well as our new segments such as Two Minute Tuesdays, Food for Thought Fridays, as well as the virtual book club on Thursdays. All of these extra segments are only available for our premium subscribers. Visit the podcast section of our website at path11productions.com to learn more or to start your subscription for only $3.99 a month. If you're not interested in a premium subscription, you can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Of course, you can still catch our latest five interview shows at any time by subscribing to the Path 11 podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and iHeartRadio. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. Catch you next time.